Petersfield's Shine Radio. No problem. Um, look, before they kick off, telling you how wonderful I am, um, I just want to say, look at you. I'm so thrilled um, that you've turned out and paid money. Um, I do want to say, because some people I hope have only joked and said, so we basically paid for the canopies. No, you haven't. That money was to pay for this and that. And I do want to stress that I haven't paid them to say nice things. I haven't paid the band and I haven't paid Kate Moss when she comes. They've all really sweetly done it for nothing and that's the main thing I just wanted to say. So, Otherwise, it's absolutely not going to be a Kate Winslet at the Oscars. I'm not going to go through thanking everybody. But hugely, all you lot, without exception, have literally made it possible for these three books to exist. And on their hour, Greg and Kate Moss, I knew you'd be in your pink coat, have arrived. And the point is that in 2010, maybe a little before, maybe 2009, Kate and Greg ran a course in short fiction. And were you on it as well? No, I know Jean was on it as well. And so we were writing short stories and stuff, and they are entirely responsible for you lot having to shell out for the next 10 years, because it was Kate who said to me, you really ought to do this stuff, you know, properly. So there we are. Anyway, blah. So um, I'm going to hand over to you. Just Just don't go too far, Susie. Um, uh, Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Lovely to be here. I'm John Mitchinson, co-founder of Unbound, and as Susie likes to describe me, and I'm very happy to describe Susie's publisher, um, for all three of the Book of Berra trilogy. And I'm here with Liz Garner, who is also an Unbound author, uh, a wonderful writer, and an old friend, um, and also with her partner Al, who is on audiovisual kind of uh, uh, stuff today. But uh, Liz was, is also the person who worked as the developmental editor. Liz, as well as being a writer, has a background as a, as a, a script, script, script editor in film. Do you need the I do need the microphone. He didn't used to teach. <laughs> I do need the microphone where we can just, can just talk more intimately now, Liz. Okay. Um, but a hissing, not too close. Fine. Um, so we're really here, as Susie says, to say nice things about her and to talk a little bit, I mean, I don't know if people are interested, but a little bit about the evolution of these books and how we all come to be here on a uh, Dreek um, Jan... Hold it up. Oh, okay. A Dreek January afternoon to celebrate the publication of the third part of the trilogy, Landfall. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Liz a little bit. Um, maybe we should talk about how you first came across the manuscript. Um, is this a, a good level for everyone? <laughs> yeah, great. So in the kind of early early days of Unbound, um, I was working, um, looking at the sort of submissions, manuscripts, manuscript submissions that were coming in. And I think what we should also explain how Unbound works and that it's a crowd-funded um, publishing house. So the relationship between the readers and the people that support the book and the writers is always very close-knit. That's one of the really lovely things about it. So I read the opening chapter of the first, the first book of Berra and was just completely blown away by the sense of place, the the boldness of this young female protagonist and it felt from the very first page that we were in a safe pair of hands and this is a really hard thing to explain or rationalise as an editor but you just know within the first chapter of a novel um, especially a novel that's taking you out into an imagined landscape whether the author is in control of that world because so much of creating and the, and the joy of working um, with Susie on, on Berra was the unfolding of the world and the landscape and the rituals and the development of character. And from that first chapter, I just felt this was like a treasure chest that was going to be unpacked. Um, and it's really interesting what Susie was saying about starting off in short stories, because 
I think both John and I have had the experience of working with them, debut authors whose ideas start as a short story that just keeps on going. Um, <laughs> and that's a good thing. But, but with the first chapter of Bear, I just thought there's a whole world and there's a whole journey here and I just can't wait to explore it. Right, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll keep going backward and forwards. Um, I also remember um, at Liz's behest uh, reading the first chapter of Berra. And in fact, I was, I was listening as I was on the way down, because it's quite a long time since I read Berra. Um, but I was listening on the way down and reminded of just how, uh, what a powerful opening uh, it is and how uncompromising. Um, saying to Liz earlier, I've been really enjoying the first two episodes of The Last of Us. Uh, on a uh, big HBO series. And by the way, anybody who's working in television out there, this bearer really needs to be a TV series. It's absolutely yes. But um, about the first three quarters of an hour, you're, you're kind of investing very heavily in this small, well, a, a brilliant performance by Tandy Newton's daughter. And uh, spoiler alert if those of you haven't seen it, but she doesn't make it into the second hour of the TV. <laughs> And it reminded me very much of the wonderful opening of, of oh, wonderful, harrowing opening with where uh, Berra's best friend Bjorn, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, shame on you, but uh, he doesn't make it into, uh, he doesn't make it into chapter two. Um, and chapter two also has the very harrowing scene where she is married, uh, more or less against her will. I mean, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is that this isn't, I, you know, we get to read a lot of submissions at Unbound. And it is quite rare for a book to buttonhole you. Um, uh, you know, Susie wasn't coming from a position where she had a massive following of people who she hadn't published uh, full-length fiction before. So it's always a bit of a risk. But, you know, looking back, I suppose we were first... That, that first, those first conversations were back in 2014, and it was launched on the site in 2015. That, to me, is very, very... That feels like a very long time ago in the evolution of what we do. And we don't, at Unbound, do all that much fiction, but we have always, the commitment to, to Susie has been absolute and will continue to be because I think she's, she's an incredibly gifted writer and has created an extraordinary, an extraordinary heroine. Should we talk a little bit more about Berra and her development? Um, just out of interest, how many of you, read, how many of you have read Landfall, the, new, the latest one? <laughs> well done. Where's the book? Where's the book? They're coming. They are on, en route. It does exist, as you can see. <laughs> um, well, you've got to treat it. Well, I say a treat, you know. <laughs> yes, it is a treat, John. <laughs> There's editorial intervention there. It is a treat. It is. Um, so I think also what really grabbed me about um, the character of Berra, it, I think it's a couple of things. So Susie and I talk quite a lot about... Um, where to place the book you know I, I don't actually really believe in these divisions of children's books YA adult books I think a good book transcends that but these were things that we sort of had to be a bit aware of at, at certain points um, but what really struck me um, in, the, in the first two books and trying to do it without any landfall spoilers was the way that Susie took the coming of age story and placed it in a landscape that was full of ritual and old power. And it's not an easy coming of age, but it feels as emotionally relevant as any modern protagonist of, of that age. Because Susie, correct me, but Bera at the start, she 13 at the start? She's 13 on the night of her 14th birthday. She's 13 so on the night of her 14th birthday, and by the end of Landfall, she is... 16? Oops. Older. Older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... I think I'm about, like, two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but the, um, the, the experiences that she goes through and the hardships that she goes through, whilst being, obviously having a kind of mythical and a fantasy age, are absolutely rooted in landscape. And I think what I can say about Landfall, without any spoilers, what I loved about it was that it takes landscape and mysteries in landscape that have not been solved you know old old landscape the what ifs of landscape and allies that to a coming of age that feels absolutely true to the character that you meet on page one of book one yeah I think that's one of the things I really love about the, the trilogy is 
yeah. The, the, the genre things are really always a bit of a challenge. I don't really think Berra is fantasy. No. Um, because I think if you were a kind of uh, an 8th century uh, Scandinavian, um, then the things, the feelings that Berra has and her understanding of her role as a Vala and, and, and the Drogas and her skirn, these are all things that I think modern psychology would probably have kind of cognates for. Mm. Um, it's just the way she describes them. Um, and I think that's what gives the, the whole book its, its power because, you know, th- there isn't that kind of moment where you go, oh, hang on, so you've got incredibly magical powers and you can move things from one place to another. That's sort of not what Berra is. It's, mm. it, it is, at its heart, an extraordinarily psychologically... Um, a powerful portrait of a, of, a, of a young woman's coming of age in a, in a fairly brutal culture, mm-hmm. which is why I think it would make such a great television. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, we're, you know, we are, we are t- we're, as they say, we're always talking to people about it, Susie, because I think it is, um, as Liz has uh, 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 alluded to, it's, it's not really, it's certainly not, I mean, it could be very much enjoyed by, by younger people, and is, I know, I've got... Uh, uh, younger people's children who love this trilogy, but uh, reading Landfall, as you will all discover, this is, yeah, this, this is this is not, this is not a, a kind of off the peg Viking fantasy. It really mm-hmm. isn't. It's an it's an amazing bit of I think of of, of literary writing as well as as just a, a brilliant storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think also what's what's so interesting in Baron, especially in in Landfall is that Susie is, is writing about richness. You say, absolutely, it's not, it's not fantasy. It's about finding a, a, a place in a, a society that is run with ritual and... Um, oh, it's so hard to do without any spoilers. But it, this, is, this is also... Landfall is very much also about a cusp of history where, where um, belief systems are, are colliding. Um, and I think what I really especially enjoyed about it was that Berra isn't although she, although she kind of comes to terms with her, her powers I suppose powers or her, her way of being it's never comfortable and it's always at a cost of a, of a different um, idealised or expected role in society and I think that's one thing that also makes it an, an exceptional book dealing with this because it's you can read a lot of more, I guess, more pitch fantasy, which is when the character comes into their powers, everything is great, and then they transcend this world and, and you know, save the world. This ain't like that. <laughs> you know, there's, all, there's, there's always a, a cost and a tension. But within that, a, a real emotional truth. And this is something that Susie and I talked about a lot, you know, this, this idea of um, the different expected roles of women, the the different places of um, ideology within society and then you have these these characters that move fluidly um, through time and through gender within that society and again none of this is is imposed this is all you can tell that there's a bedrock of research be- beneath this um, and again like I'm saying that, that that's safe pair of hands really um, yes I think that if you've ever been to one of those kind of um, Again, it's not a spoiler, but there's an ex- extended journey in, uh, into uh, a place in Landfall, which if you've ever been to Wayland Smithy or Hetty Pegless Tump or the West Kennet Long Barrow or Newgrange in Ireland and have wondered what, what were they, why were these places built and how were they used, um, I think Susie comes up with one of the best and most persuasive and most powerful uh, imaginative reconstructions of, 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 of that in, in, in this book. And one of the most terrifying and claustrophobic as well. Yes, <laughs> terrifying and claustrophobic. Um, I, I'm just sort of, I, mean, I know we're going to get, Susie's going to come and read from the book in a minute just to give you even more. But I wondered, Liz, if you're, when you're, it just might be interesting for people about how do you, how you work with a writer mm. to, to make a book even better than as I said it was it was a pretty good manuscript we don't take at Unbound we wouldn't look at a at fiction unless we had a first draft and the first draft of Berra was as we say was was already pretty remarkable mm. but um might just a little bit of uh, inside knowledge about how you work 
I mean, really, my, my job as a development editor, um, it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, but to say you know to help the author make the book the best that it can be, but on their own terms. You know, my job is never to say, oh, Susie, this is you know this is great, but um, it'll sell more if we set it in outer space. We've got to set it in outer space <laughs> if you want to publish it without that. You know, that's not my job. Um, a lot of it is. Um, to do with, it, I guess, the character development. Yeah. And, you know, in the in Book of Berra, the, as I remember, there was very little. There was very little that we did. Um, it was all there. I think part of what I was just guiding Susie with was the pacing of reveals. Um, and that wasn't really within the story because the storyline was absolutely there. But it was just the how much do you withhold about Berra's past, about her character about her tensions because at the start you know again this is what I love about this trilogy the, the characters around the coming of age in that book one there's a lot that Bera isn't facing up to in herself wouldn't you say Susie so I think that was mainly my advice was like you can't spell out what she doesn't know yet so that was kind of quite a a um, delicate edit and I have to say you know and it's not just because I'm here in this wonderful building with Susie um being a development editor can be a really tricky job because you're aware that this is something that the author, and as an author myself, I'm hugely aware of, that, that the author has crafted and cares about. And when you're negotiating those kind of changes, um, some authors are incredibly resistant to it. And I, I, I understand that, and I would never force it. But with Susie, it's been a joy. It's just like a series of conversations, isn't it, really? And then in Obsidian the second novel um, I would say that we worked we started working together on that much earlier on didn't we? it was a much earlier draft so there was quite a lot of the kind of mythology and the ritual stuff that we just had to unpack and again it was working out what to emphasise so with, you always get me to hold my nerve yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice compliment hold your nerve um, I think another way of saying that is actually, yes, hold your nerve, trust your readers. Um, there was a great quote that I, when, when I worked as a script editor, I'm pretty sure it was the writer Tony Jordan, who said that an audience would rather be confused for ten minutes than bored for um, two minutes. Now, Susie's books are never boring, but it was that thing of, like, don't explain it all up front, don't explain it, just let us feel this alongside Barrett. And I think Obsidian... Was was the one where the world of the book expanded, and it's also that thing in a trilogy that middle book can be quite tricky because you're expanding the world, but you're not resolving the world, so you're setting up all these complex tensions. And I guess that was a lot of what we worked on, which was what do you resolve by the end of book two, and what do you keep open that Berry still has to work with for book three. And um, but it was a joy having those conversations, was it? I mean, we really. We, we really had a, a lot of fun. And actually, with, with Obsidian, it was never a case of the world not being there. You know, it's exactly what I felt like when I, when I read Book of Berra. It was all there. It was, it was just a matter of what to emphasise and what to scale back. And then when we got to Landfall, it was just like, yes, come on, we, you know, we're, we're heading for the home. Although I didn't expect the home to be where it ended up. No spoilers. <laughs> Yes, you should. We, 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 yeah, well, I was, well, you know what? I am done, done. But I was going to just say this. I was just going to say this because, I mean, I think a lot of you here know Susie and are here. Um, as a publisher, of course, we love all our authors equally. Good. That's, that's clearly not exactly <laughs> true. But I have never worked with anyone who has been as unfailingly positive, as utter delight. You find any, you talk to anyone in the Unbound office, from the people who are doing distribution to the sales team to the PR team. I mean, everybody's in love with Susie. I'm sure a lot of people in this room are still or have been. And, or are, but it's because she is, she is, she is. And I just, it's just for any aspiring writers out there, it, it makes such a difference. 
crowdfunding is really difficult. It's not easy. It saps at your, at your confidence. There are times when you think, why am I bothering to do this? I can't go out again and ask people to support me. But Susie has been an absolute genius at it. It's been a I mean, great pleasure for all of us to work with her. And I think now we have a trilogy that we can, we can really go out and sell. It's, it's, it's very, very exciting. But I just wanted to publicly thank you, Susie, for being so brilliant. Um, and with that very low-pressure introduction, perhaps you'd like to come and read from the book. You can see why it's so easy, though, because these guys are just brilliant. And uh, my biggest sadness is, in fact, leaving on bands. Well, I wept about leaving Bearer, but honestly, it's, it's just been lovely. And I said it wouldn't be all gushy, but it's going to be gushy. Right, so um, I just want to say just very briefly about the 10 years, I forgot this bit, that during the 10 years that I've been writing this since, you know, before the mast, I've died once in 2013, I conked out, um, just prior to meeting you um, with a heart thing, my heart was beating too quickly for the blood to get in, um, and flat on the floor saved by Labrador, story of my life. Um, and then in 2016, I had sepsis and was rushed to QA and told to prepare for death. So there's some people here, notably my best friend, Neve Wakefield, who's suffered all that bit with me. Um, but anyway, so there we are. And I'm intensely grateful. But it doesn't have to put some oomph in your tank when you've had that. <laughs> right, so like them, I found it really difficult to think what to read you that wasn't a kind of complete spoiler. Um, so you're going to have to bear with me slightly because um, I don't want to say the name. Right, so the first one you've said is a, like the buildings for a man. That was like the growing up one. Book two, they're, they're all written to thriller structure as taught by Greg. Um, book two was a quest and book three is a, largely a romance. And yes, it brings it all to an end, but um, it's very much love in the end. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read a bit. And I'm, instead of the guy's name, I'm just going to say her man. Because it sounds slightly Irish, doesn't it, Neve? Um, no, 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 no. Right, okay. Can you all hear me, by the way? Yeah, good. Each evening they would go up to the pool. A hot spring came from deep underground to fill it, and cold water poured through a V-shaped rock to form a spout. The warm bath and then the freezing shock made Bera feel fully alive. If they began to talk, it bored Heggy. He would go off with Racky, promising to keep well away from the ghost fence. Then Bera would return to the still part of the pool, enjoying the slide of her feet on the shine of polished rock. She would shut her eyes and listen to the gentle bird song, slowly wafting her hands through the soft slip of water, hoping to be followed. He always did. The shimmering light of bright nights was especially intense there. Some quality existed between the mountains and the sea that held back the shadows. Her skirn quietened as colours faded and yet got more penetrating. They were ringed by deep blues that gradually paled the silver blue of the sea. In this secret place, between worlds, they began to be trusting friends, stripped of shyness in speech and skin. Her man's face was pinkly healing, with new hair on his temple. Bera did not hide her leg where the wolf bite was a sickled hollowness. One night he turned her wrist over, drawing his finger along a forgotten childhood scrape. So tell me this scar's story. The white line was hardly there, but he must have noticed it before and his gaze was thrilling. Sigrid Sunbjorn, fishhook? <laughs> Too short a story. Do you miss him? Well, I miss his friendship, but he started to nag about marriage. Vera wanted to share a dishonourable secret. And he shamed me, you know. He wrote a love poem. Was it a good one? Very bad. <laughs> they laughed, not unkindly, and her shame was gone. It was his turn. When I was Higgy's age, I was in love with a girl. Were you betrothed? Too young. And then my mother and I were taken by pirates. The girl never made it to their boat. I've never said that aloud before. Bera put a finger to his lips. We have them in our hearts. As I said, hands can sign what's in our heart, Bera. 
That is where the truth lies. Teach me. So it was here that Vera learned to speak without words. He began with easy signs like eat and thanks, but they gradually created a shared signing, and she found that her hands could contain more meaning than her lips if she let them. And so it was that although she learned the sign for love, neither of them risked making it their own. because I didn't know what Liz was going to say, but that's a classic one where she said, yeah, that's a really interesting idea, but you, you just drop it then. It never occurs in the whole of the rest of the book. And I'd forgotten that I'd written that bit at <laughs> the end of the book. You know, I'm already being, you know, weeping and dramatic. Um, but I think that's quite sweet and very different. For those of you who had read the first two, um, it, it's a different kind of feel. Um, or if anyone who hasn't read it, they're not like rip-roaring fantasy going into battle, although there is battle and war and belief and chaos, etc. Anyway, um, I'm going to now have my dear friend Kate, so you two can clear right, off. Right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so grateful. No, Thank you so pleasure. much. Yeah, honestly, it was just so lovely. Just gonna, Thank I'm you. just going to leave this running Susie. Oh, right. Okay. If that's why it was Look, right, we're going to be basically Dave Allen. <laughs> Those we Speak all do not remember. Right. Speak for yourself. Right, yeah. You're on. Well, hello everyone. I mean, I feel an awful lot has already been said, which is fantastic. Um, but it our is, job's done. Our job is done, so we're back to the bar. But it's, um, it's a great pleasure to be here to celebrate... Uh, the publication of the third one, Landfall. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure, has everybody read the first two? Yes, so you, so you have, um, well, it's awful to say, but the best to come. It's a wonderful novel, and as Susie says, it's a love story. And it does, of course, finish everything, but at the same time, it doesn't finish it completely, which is another thing that Greg, I thought, taught. And there are many of other writers in the room here here today, so you know all about that finishing, but there's still a tiny bit left. Um, but Susie, what, what I wanted to talk to you about, really, is the fact of writing a trilogy. So when you started with the Book of Berra, which then, of course, you know, became Sea Paths, and the beautiful covers from Unbound, wonderful, Marky, um, wonderful covers, um, is the Berra on the last page of this the one you had in your mind when you started. Why did I invite you? you see, <laughs> she always does Well, I've written one or two trilogies myself. <laughs> um, that's, you know, oh God, I hate it when politicians say that's a really interesting question. What you mean is, I haven't got a clue. Um, no, I think what's really weird about it is when I wrote the first book, I had no idea. I, I didn't have a trilogy in mind. It was completely standalone. The first draft was part of the MA, which I was doing with Greg, and it was just like shove 120,000 words out. So poor old Liz was faced with this inchoate thing that was showing every possible technique to get my MA. Um, <laughs> which you got with distinction, I if you'd like me to say that. Darling, yeah. darling. Um, which I got with distinction. But anyway, but, but as a novel, it really wasn't that great. It had to be trimmed down to about 90,000. So we just went for the best that we could possibly do. And then I just fell in love with Bera. And although she is intensely, as somebody said to me only this week, intensely slappable, um, I think she grows during that book. And you can see the seeds, what's extraordinary. Extraordinary. See, when you go back, even in the prologue, there are things in the prologue that have come true. And I never went back till I actually finished Landfall. So a long-winded answer that, yes, at that bearer at the finish surprised me. Um, I mean, I don't want to say the absolute finish, but, you know, in maybe the finish of her journey made decisions that I didn't know she was going to take that made me feel intensely sad. But actually, I can see that it's entirely logical for her. And so you, you weren't thinking of a trilogy, but it was as if she said, I'm not done. So how did you, once you realised that, I imagine you firstly did that and then you went, oh, hi, John. <laughs> um, but how did you then decide you were going to map the story going on? Because Obsidian's got a very dark 
core, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, with Landfall, there is a very different tone to it, I'd say, in some respects, although we've got all the things that we love from a Susie Wilde novel. So at that moment, when you thought, I'm not done with Berra, did you start to think, OK, I want to take her to this age or that age, or did you think about emotion, what you wanted her to become? It was very much character-driven. I'm really bad. Anyone who knows me really well, or fellow writers and so on, I'm a really bad plotter. And even if I think I'm going to, I either forget what I've decided, or I just, oh, no, that's boring. Um, and, and the more plotting I do, the more bored I am, and nothing ever gets written. So that's the story of my life, pre-going to you and Greg. Um, so it's very much what comes out of character. And if... I like to think that that's why the novels are so immersive and why people fall in love with Berra, because it's not like I'm constructing this thing that I make her jump through hoops. And I remember you saying, Kate, when early Labyrinth days, I think, there was something you said, but when you're writing, there's a moment in which the characters come round from behind you and pass in front of you, and you think, ah, there you are. And... When that happens, when you've put so much into your characters, that is a wonderful moment. And it's not that they lead you exactly, because obviously you're still in charge. But, but you absolutely, if you're trying to move them like a chess piece, then, then they're going to resist hugely. Yes, because it, it doesn't come from inside. It's, it's sort of the puppet master outside, which never works. So the first one, coming of age, we've talked about. The second one, quest. I would say one of the things that's so strong about Landfall is the question at the heart of it, which is, do we stay or do we go? And it's not a question that happens once. It's everything about life then is that question, do we stay or do we go? Now, did you have that in your mind when you were writing, or could you kind of see it as a theme when you looked down on the book when you'd done your first draft? I never write with a theme in my mind. I think it's really important when you're setting out to write that you write the best book you can given your characters and some notion of where the plot's going. Um, and then at the end you can look, and, and usually it's Liz, who will say to me, oh, there's a really powerful theme of dot, dot, dot. I go, is there? And, <laughs> and it's fantastic. And then she sends her notes back to me and she'll go look on page 40, this is what you mention on page 63, so you need to make it more on page 40. And I think, my God, this woman's a genius. Um, which is great, isn't it? What did you ask me about? <laughs> stay or go, stay or go. And it just occurred to me, actually I was listening to something the other day, and it occurred to me intensely, something that you kind of, if you inhabit your characters, so it's not that they're leading you, but you kind of inhabit them. And if you really are, you're in their imaginative space. And I had always thought that for, let's call them Vikings, I hate that, they, they specifically called pirates Vikings, but for North people, they very much were a community and any decision was always a community decision and it occurred to me only yesterday how difficult that must then be for Bera in different ways she feels the weight of being a Vala and having to make the decisions but that weight of being an isolated individual when you should always be part of a group um, really struck me but the whole stay or go thing is kind of of course because a lot of them obviously wanted to keep moving and there was the diaspora from Norway to Iceland to Greenland to America and the, the further you were from Norway, the quicker it failed and they pulled back so, and climate change, hello um, and they pulled back only as far as Iceland um, but some people will always want to be exploring and others really want to belong and belonging and the sense of home for me, I mean this Shall I just read the here I yeah. bit? I mean, I think this is pertinent to what Kate has asked me. There's a bit where I start in this with... Um, so my mum was Welsh, so I feel intensely... Uh, my family, all that side, were Irish-Welsh, Welsh-Irish, you know, back and forth. But so I've put Hiraith as a frontispiece. Hiraith is a Welsh word for an emotion that has no direct translation because it's so personal always poignant. It's to do with homesickness or grieving for something that may never have been known. The word tugs at a yearning within me that I cannot name. 
It's certainly to do with loss and never belonging. It's a call from deep time, the long dead, and the sadness of being exiled from a home I have never found. Mm. I mean, the, the, the whole novel kind of sings with that sense. And you, there are certain moments when you think, really, Barry, just sit down. Don't go anywhere else. <laughs> and other moments when you think, no, you're right, you have to do... Now, you, you have always said you don't plot. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, you know, we, we'll take that with a pinch of salt. But uh, with this, this is a, there's a beautiful love story at the heart of this. Did you know that, that he was going to be him and she was going to be her in that way? Or was that something, as you started to write the next bit of Berra's story, you thought, actually, she deserves this? <laughs> you know, because she's had some, you know, issues. Some, say. some dodgy men. <laughs> some dodgy all. men. Very dodgy men. Um, yeah, honestly, I didn't know. No. And, um, it, it, and I hope, like the Berra ending, people also read it and go, well, of course, it was always going to be dot, dot, dot. Um, no, I had no idea. I didn't even know. if. I mean, it feels like that because it feels like... <laughs> They're not sure either whether it's going to happen, and that's what's what really it lovely, is. or what it is. Yeah. yeah, no, very much so. And I, and, it, and it, yes, I'm, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, you can't, you can't give anything away. But, but it is a big reveal um, at the beginning, and actually, at the beginning, it's really important, as we know, to have as many reveals as possible, <laughs> so people don't get bored. Um, but anyway, there he is, and I think it's really important that even. I'd say quite close to the end. Neither they nor we know what's going to happen because there are many different kinds of love, as we all know. And, um, and also, she's got a kid. So how is that going to go? And one of the things, I mean, both John and Liz said you know, this beautifully about how you work and how you all work together. Um, but there are just a couple of things about your writing that I think, as a fellow writer, are very distinctive. And I say this partly because my new novel is a pirate novel. And I... I um, yeah, lesbian pirates is all you need to know, really, isn't it? Uh, uh, that's the strap line, yes, exactly. Um, but no, my point was that I think that you are one of the best writers of the sea. And it's really significant and distinctive, I would say. Um, because I don't think there are many people who can write what it feels like to be sailing. You know, people can put characters on a ship, but to actually know what it means to sail a craft. Now, there's two schools of thought in fiction. One is write what you know, in which case there'd be no crime fiction, ladies and gentlemen. Um, or you can use your imagination, good Lord. Um, but you do a mixture of both in this. Now, how helpful is it that you are a sailor and you know you know the sea is alive to you because I think it sings on every page here it, it is a great love um, and thanks to Richard I've now found you hello I'm very corny Richard taught me to say um, and Rita I married him um, it, it, and we we didn't know for ages do I love the sea or this guy you know you don't know do you anyway 30 years on it's got to be all right um, but no, we then, point is, we then bought a boat and sailed for five years. So yes, it was an intimate knowledge. And we also, I think because it was a, a yacht, it wasn't like some great ship. It was quite small, and we had one really dodgy, which Kate knows about, a, a passage across the Bay of Biscay that was seriously frightening. And four French some of that, incidentally. Good, you know. <laughs> uh, um, and then... Four French fishermen died in that storm, didn't they? So it was seriously hairy. But you do get to know it, and I think you do need that. And then also I went on the Iceland Writers' Retreat, because that was kind of important for North people and so on. And there's a boat there, and I was absolutely flabbergasted by what it actually meant to be on a boat where you can't go below, when it gets really nasty and storms and they're crossing from Iceland to Greenland and so on but they're living on a deck they can't have fires on a deck they're eating cold food um, just the reality of that and then so what do they 
wear, where they wear wool because it's still warm when it's wet, and and, and blah, 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 blah. You you need that experience coupled with imagination to put yourself imaginatively. I mean, you and I love the trundle, don't we, which is just sort of up here, and that's where the beaker people were. And there's an atmosphere up there where if you stand there long enough, it's almost as if they're speaking to you, and and that's what you get, I think. And, And this museum... Similarly, one of the reasons we're here is that I did a lot of research here. Um, so, yes, blah. And, and in terms of uh, research, I mean, Liz mentioned it. You have um, a kind of very light touch uh, because you don't ever turn a page and think, oh, she's done a lot of research into, you know, flint axes or whatever it happens to be. Um, but did you do a huge amount of research, I know you, well, I, I know the answer to this, but you're going to say it publicly, um, before you started, or did you do, for the Book of Barrows it was, which then of course became Sea Paths, and then Obsidian, and then this, you know, so how much did you supplement the research you did before you got going in the first place? The mistake I always made leading up to all this was I thought I had to know everything. I honestly thought that you had to almost commit murder to write a crime novel. And, and I never really properly got going. And then, again, thanks to Greg, he said, no, JFDI. You know, well, he probably didn't say that's a Richardism. Um, but just write it. Just get it down. Just get the characters on the page. You know where you're going. Then do the research. And the really weird thing, which you'll know as well, Kate, is that you write this stuff, and because you've inhabited this world thoroughly, you do the research and think, bloody hell, that actually did happen, or, you know, this is how they were, and it's really spooky almost, that that, that sort of thing, and on and on and on it goes, that you you hear something, right, so classically, I don't think this is a major spoiler, but um, John referenced Newgrange, it's because one of the main scenes in this takes place in a place which is based on Rory and I, actually, do you remember, we went to Newgrange, and that's that thing just outside that thing, just outside Dublin, like a burial chamber and things. So I invented, because I decided it would be covered in tiny white stones that would reflect the sun and be light, that there would be another, um, which is called the dark, and that would be covered in black stones, so linked to kind of obsidian. So off I went on this. Well, blow me. I looked at it, and there are about four or five burial mounds there. One of them is called in... Gaelic, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, but it's something like D-U-B-H. Um, thank you. Um, my Irish representative in heaven. Um, it, it, which is very close to a word for dark, or even is the word for dark. It is the word for dark. Black. You see? You see how spooky this is. Um, and yes, exactly that. And it's... Um, you love research. Yeah. So all writers, and there are several in this room... That moment when you have to stop researching and start writing. Um, so, which takes everybody a bit of time. But how much is the proportion of the research time and the preparation and the writing? So just tell us a little bit about your writing day. When you were writing Landfall, did you write nine to five every day? Did you write seven days a week? You know, just, just how do you work? I can't do a you. Say what you do. No, I'm interviewing you. Just oh, answer no. the question. <laughs> Okay, so what I've tended to do, there's a thing in the month of November called NaNoWriMo where you have to write 80,000 words in November or something. 50. 50. Thank you. So you have to do that, which is a perfect first draft size. So exactly as I said, when I've just got a notion and it really doesn't matter, and I can do almost like a sleight of hand, it's like this doesn't matter, my brain doesn't have to engage, it's not like I'm taking it seriously, I'm just playing, just for November. So in every, no, the first two, I have written a first draft in November, and then I missed it. Um, for various reasons for the for landfall and I had to take it seriously and I thought oh my god I'm going to die under the weight of I mean am I literally going to die because as I had for sea paths and obsidian so is landfall literally going to be the death of me it really will be a trilogy and all you lot go oh, definitely the end now <laughs> she snuffed it but anyway so I had to sit down and I wrote 
um, I think I wrote about 100,000 words for that first draft because obviously it was always genuinely going to be the finish. And so I had so much that I needed to tidy up. And then I think, unusually, Liz got the second draft because nobody sees the first draft. I even hide it from myself. Mm-hmm. And did you know, I've just thought of this, that, um, is it Sarah Moss who did the fell and um, the thing, right? Without, so, without an E. Without an E. Um, so Sarah Moss was um, on the Item Writers course with me once, and she said that she never looks back at her first draft. She literally even deletes it from her computer, and she rewrites. I mean, she does do novellas. We'd be pushed, wouldn't we? But, um, so she literally starts from the beginning and rewrites it, which I think is amazing because I've got like a knitting bag of excerpts you know I thought well that's a good bit but it's not going to make the cut so I keep it in this sort of folder thing this will come in handy one day how do you feel now now it's done Um, I feel intensely sad there are bits in this some of you are going to kill me I know there are bits in this as there are in book one where no matter how much I kind of manoeuvred it and edited it and finished it but it still makes me cry when I go back there's a bit I'm only going to say famer to anybody who's read book one Um, that for instance that's not a spoiler for anybody else but there's a bit in that which really makes me cry John I don't know have you finished Landfall yet I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry about the main thing, and I can't even say why I'm really sorry, because that would be a giveaway, but I'm really sorry. Um, and um, so, yes, that's how and, I and feel. And the is really moving. I mean, it's really moving. Um, and, and honestly, you can all relax, because no matter what Kate says, it really is the finish. It's not. <laughs> i tell you what I'm going to do next. Is that going to be a question? It was going to be a question, but I think that's a good moment to answer it. I'll bung it in then. I'm actually writing a contemporary romance for a woman over 60 who has sex. I mean, how outrageous is that? Very good. I had an old person sex scene in my new novel and my editor made me cut it. No. She said, we don't want geriatric sex at the beginning of this novel. Yeah, no. Speak for yourself, I said. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, hello, we're baby boomers. It's like when they go into old people's home, they're still playing Vera Lynn and stuff. And you think, why are you doing that? Well, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, you know. (laughs) But but actually, I mean, just unpicking that a little bit more... Um, this is such a distinctive trilogy. It's got a great sense of place. It's got atmosphere. It has the old gods versus the new gods. It has all of the big emotions that we want. I, I agree. I don't think of it as fantasy, really. I think of this as great historical fiction. So did you feel you needed to kind of flex your writing muscles in a different way? Or do you think that you'll find a different piece of history that might speak to you as Barra's story has done. Do you know, the completely honest answer here is I want to make some money, Um, which is all, you know, absolutely fantastic. But we're actually going to talk, because we know we're not all as successful as Kate, and that's lovely. We can be moderately successful. But so this week, I've got my PLR, which is public lending, lending, right? So that's anyone who borrows your book from a library. So if you hate this, can you donate it to your local library? Because I might make a bob. And you get 30 pence now, thanks to the Society of Authors, for every borrow. Well, I got a cheque for 12 quid. <laughs> so basically, that hasn't paid for one bottle of champagne. <laughs> so I do, honestly, I was so... <laughs> I would love to write a literary novel, but as Greg always said, it's like 140 people won a Booker Prize winner or something, didn't you? Will Self, didn't he? Self. Yeah, it's a long time ago. But but it's something like that. They you really don't make that much money. So I would honestly, at my age, like to make a bobble. So so that's interesting. So that you feel that that is a essentially a gap in the market that you could struggle into. I in just, a sort of Debbie Mogok type way, that kind of tone, or yeah, it's not Jojo Moyes because I'm too old. So it would be, yeah, it would be more like that. But the thing is, I never make a decision. When I when I started with this, I had to write. I can't remember how much for the MA, and I was trying to write this gritty crime novel set in Pompeii because it says what you know, what you love reading. You know, oh God, I was. Bored. And all the time I was trying to write it, this long ship kept coming out of the fog at me. And Greg said to me one week, 
you know, you've got like a fortnight and you've got to present me with 30,000 words. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, panic. So I thought, well, I'm going to follow this long ship. Um, so I did. I thought, well, who are you? Where are you going? And actually, it was this, like this 30-year-old woman, actually, called Freya, who was on this long ship. And I did do my 30,000, whatever it was, for the beginning. And then Badisha came to... to, I don't know if you've heard of her, but, you know, she was huge at the time, 10 years ago. And she came as a visiting tutor, and she read it and said... I'm I'm sorry, there are children in the room, but I'm going to say exactly what she said. And she looked at it and she said, I love it, but you can't call her fucking Freya, because every fucking Viking's called fucking Freya, isn't (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, I think there's a market for the fucking Freya trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) It's my next thing. There you go. You don't even need to write the book, love. Just just (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, lesbian pirates, you know. And... um, so anyway, so I changed, I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? So I changed it to Berra. Well, I had to just scrap all that. All the first lot went um, because Berra was not Freya. She was completely mm. other. Mm. This child was speaking to me, this 13-year-old. And so off mm. I go. Mm. So I always just basically follow. So I, I, yes, I'd like to make money, but honestly, I just found that I was the next thing I'm writing just happened to be. I wanted it to just be sparky, you know, a bit of humour and, you know. And also, I mean, I think all of us benefit from writing in different kind of areas. Yeah. Um, you know, that you refresh yourself by doing a different type of writing. Um, but I think also it's, you know, what you said is really important for, you know, all of us who are writers or might be wanting to write or whatever, which is the person you are as a writer is not necessarily the person you are as a reader. Yeah. Uh, so you might love crime fiction or you might like, what, you know, whatever it is, but that might not be your voice mm. as a novelist. And that's really what you discovered, wasn't it? That, you know, your image of yourself from the outside was not where your, where your you know, skill was. So, how far are you with this, and what's, what's the plan? Well, I did a course with Curtis Brown Creative, um, who, a, a sort of literary agency, uh, so see where I'm going. And they were running a course in romantic fiction, and I thought, well, do you know what, that is com- I've never read it. I've never read romances. And because this turned out to be a bit of a love story, I thought, well, maybe this is the way I'm going. Let's do it. And it was with Jenny Colgan, who began as a stand-up. She's wonderful, so wise and witty. And and not a spring chicken, is she? I mean, she's younger than us. Well, she's younger than us, but, I mean, you know. know, Most people are younger than us now. (laughs) (laughs) But she's definitely not like some child writing about it so I thought well no this would be great so that was wonderful and then I had to edit this and everything so that went on a back burner and then I just found myself being interested in Mm. it again but I wanted to not it just wasn't working in that voice so I did who did I do it with this time can you remember Richard oh Marion Keys thank you it's exactly Marion Keys the little Um, known author Marion (laughs) Keys (laughs) She's a one to forget, isn't she? Oh, I know, isn't she? I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, there you are. And I love her from Strictly and everything, you know, Irish dancing, dancing from the knee down. So she's always something... Sorry, knee. Um, she, she suffered it. Oh, God, daughter. Anyway, fine. Anyway, so I did that with her, and she was very encouraging of going up to an age group where you are comfortable and it's my voice and I've actually for the first time ever written in the first person because I quite wanted the other thing is to actually talk to you lot you know actually talk to the the readers and I'm actually finding that really nice I think it's absolutely brilliant because everybody can see how thrilled you are and energised by it. But I am going to bring it back to this. (laughs) Yeah, we want to sell it. Just because um, you're here and we're all here to celebrate with you. And you said, actually, that, you know, you didn't start at the beginning with the the idea of a trilogy and, you know, you've discovered who she is and she turned out to... You knew her all along, you know, like that wonderful picture. I always think it's like... um, old-fashioned photographs where you just have that thing lying in that bath of solution and little by little the outline comes up and then you can see who, who your character is. And you said you feel sad, but at the same time, you must feel a sense of completion with this because you have... There are a lot of trilogies and, you know, longer series um, and John and Liz will have published, you know, and we've all read them, that don't actually give us what we need when we finish and you have and that's really 
amazing, actually. It's really hard to finish a series properly uh, without it feeling a little bit pat. So you, you, do you feel like you've got a little bit of a crown on? I hadn't. I hadn't till you said that, so thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, it's been... It's been sad as well. So one of the other reasons, which Kate knows, that I was writing at all is that I never managed to have children. I had five miscarriages, and when my mum died, I felt intensely weird about not leaving anything behind. So, And the reason I've said all that is that it's not self-aggrandizement. It's not like this big deal that I want to leave something behind. It's, it's this... this chain almost of our being of our welshness and so on going on through if we possibly can and um and so that's why i wrote book one and so you're right actually that i think part of my intense sadness really of coming to the end of this is that's it now i've had my three kids basically he can have the snip and um and i'm on to something else (laughs) They've all moved out. They've moved yeah, out. And you're going to have geriatric sex in, on the pages. <laughs> no offence, Richard, obviously. Uh, sorry about that. That came out very badly. Um, <laughs> uh, good. Another Moving great interview. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, have you got one more little bit you'd like to read? Or yeah, but you read, are, you, are you not bored? Just one tiny last bit, bit to finish, if you've got a little bit. I've just got a tiny yeah. bit from um, yeah. the Dublin. Oh, Dufflin, as I yeah. call it, to, yeah. to look very vaguely. Yeah, I have, actually. Um, because you talked about... Oh, but this is bit, this is bit Richard loves. Um, and you talked about the sea and so on. So it's, it's not actually one of the passages, because unlike the others, they're not great huge sea passages in this book. So this is the approach to Dufflin, um, when they're on their tiny longboat, the Raven, um, heading into Dufflin. Then from behind the opposite headland, an immense vessel appeared, bristling with oars. Its dragon prow, with jaws wide open, was as tall as the tree it had been carved from, and the noise and speed was like nothing Barra could have imagined. As it turned into the channel, Heggy stopped rowing to gape at it, and and she shouted at him to keep rowing. "'Wake coming,' Barra warned. She marvelled at how cleanly the dragon boat drove through the water with not a splash, despite so many oars on the stroke. These were proper seamen. Boats of all kind filled the channel. Most were long boats without boss shields, like Hefner's fleet of seaworthy trading ships. Others heavily stacked with goods were coastal broad-beamed naras that were wallowing in the crisscross wakes as they headed out of harbour. Several boats looked like bigger versions of Egil's black-pitched caracal, with ten or more rowers, but a few were painted blood-red with striped sails and strangely hatted crew. Vera studied every dragon boat, but there was no sign of her folk. It was a real threat now. How could she save them? Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Now, um, (laughs) No, um, just to say, um, there are books over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, to be bought, um, and Susie will sign. Um, and just think of it in these terms. You might have already got one, but there's no reason to not have two, um, <laughs> because that would be a present for somebody, and then Unbound and Susie will, you know, be happy, won't you? Oh, You have to good. sign many, many books. Um, but this and this is standalone. You know, I keep saying it, but yeah, each yeah. three... Is perfectly able because with book one I can't stand loads of backstory. So book one just begins when she's thirteen. I don't trail up to. And you've no idea how old she is anyway. Turns out, so uh, you know. So you, you know, so buy this one if you haven't read the others, and then you can buy the others. Um, this has been a wonderful event. Um, Unbound is an amazing publisher. I indeed had a book right at the beginning of Unbound for, for the festival. Theater. It was Kate also. I must thank her hugely also for this because you see why I couldn't think of this without having her doing the interview. Um, but also, not only did you get me writing, but you got me with Unbound because I had a very insalubrious agent. We won't go into that. Um, and when he blew up... Um, That's like, true. Greg and I sat in your garden on your 16th birthday and drank champagne at 10 in the morning. You did. Happy days. <laughs> Weren't they good days back in the day? Yeah, it wasn't a January. Um, it was in August. No, but exactly that, you remember. And I was sobbing and saying, what am I going to do? I'm too old. I've gone down a huge snake. And she said, pull yourself together. 
get your arse to Unbound um, and they'll sort you out. And yeah. honestly, without them, and hugely, because they're only hoping that you lot will cough up, so really, without you, it wouldn't have happened. Ladies and gentlemen, Susie Wilde. <laughs> You're wonderful. Honestly, that was so brilliant. I'm going to the dining table. What was the rival to the VHS video format? Which author predicted the Apollo moon landing? Who became the youngest winner of the Wimbledon men's singles title? Petersfield's Shine Radio with Ian Crossman. I have quiz questions on all sorts of topics for you to test your general knowledge and see if you can score the magical five out of five. The Brighter Minds Quiz is proudly supported by Church's College. Every Saturday and Sunday night from nine. Petersfield's Shine Radio. Radio.